I love my church. In the Bible, in John chapter number 14, verse 21, Jesus says these words, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Basically, Jesus is saying here, talks cheap. If you have my word and you don't do it, what will society say? Do you really live out what you say you believe? And so I want you that in, in your mind. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. We're going to be using some word pictures today and some illustrations today that I want you to put in your mind. The first illustration today is that of an orchestra. Now, if you've ever been to a symphony orchestra and you've heard them warming up before the orchestra begins, it actually doesn't sound all that good. In fact, it sounds pretty bad. This morning, around 8.30, when the musicians arrive, begin warming up, I must say... It didn't sound all that good, except for Nikki. She sounded great on the piano. Everyone else, it didn't sound all that good. It was like, as they warm up. And you think of a symphony, they're all doing their own thing, tuning their instruments, playing by themselves, for themselves, until the conductor walks up with his tuxedo on with the long little bits that hang down the bottom, and he stands there and he goes, tap, tap, tap on the lectern, and everyone pays attention, and he lifts his hand, and they begin to play in perfect time. And he sets the beginning point, and he sets the timing, and he knows every single instrument and where they're fitting into this beautiful symphony that's being played. And when it's time for a particular instrument to play, he will show them when to begin, and he will tell them when to end. And when it all works together, it's absolutely beautiful but it doesn't take a great deal to mess up a symphony. In fact, it really only takes one instrument to be not playing its part, and we'll see that just here on this video. Fifteen minutes could save you 15% or more. In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, it says in verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now we're taking the illustration of a symphony and turning it into the illustration of a body. And think of a human body. The fact that you are, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, the Bible says that you are part of a body, the body of Christ. Now this is a metaphor, it's an illustration for our minds. And what the Apostle Paul does, much like Jesus did, is they take very difficult concepts and they try to use things that are common for us to understand them. So we're thinking about a body. So today as you think about the church body, Southwest Baptist Church specifically as our local church, I want you to think of us as a body, and every single part of the body is important. God has given us a wonderful symphony called life. And when our life is playing in the right order and following the things of God as the conductor, as He orders things, as He puts things in place, 
we simply follow our conductor, God, when he opens doors, when he closes them, when he begins things and ends things, at his timing, at his pace. And I must say personally, I have never done anything of value in my life for God in my own personal timing, in my own personal strength. It has only come as a result of God saying, you may begin now. And now is the time to stop. And I want you to go over and do this over here. And simply following his direction and his steps. And when we as a church family, as a church body, are working in harmony with one another or in unity with one another, we can accomplish tremendous things. But much like a human body, how many parts of a human body does it take to, to mess up to affect the rest of the body? Have you ever stubbed your toe? You'll know. It only takes one little part of the body. You ever had a cavity that hurt your tooth? It's a tiny little hole that affected your entire body. So therefore, we as a church body must be following our conductor God in His steps and in His direction. Our principle for today is this. And every week we have a principle. And inside your bulletin you'll find the principle along with the notes for today's message. And it says this. As part of the body of Christ, I have a God-given purpose to serve. This morning, we're going to be looking at two passages. One in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4. We're going to get to that in a few moments' time. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians and also Corinthians. These are written to two real churches. And there's one church in a place called Corinth. And Corinth is in modern-day Greece. And Corinth was a very metropolitan and a very multicultural area. And what they had as a local church, they were seriously messed up. And the Apostle Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians to this church and was saying things like, you're doing things that are absolutely wrong. There was immorality in the church. And they were celebrating the fact that, aren't we just so inclusive by bringing in and encouraging immorality? And in chapter number 11, he says, you're observing communion. Now, communion is remembering Jesus' death on the cross through bread and wine or grape juice. And he says, you're going there and you, you're letting some people go hungry and you're turning it into a party. Something that should be about Jesus Christ and what he did. You're actually getting drunk. That's what it says in chapter number 11, verse 21. You're, and these, these things should not be. And so he's writing to a church that has some serious problems. There's infighting within the church. And the people are arguing about some really silly things. Like in chapter number 3, they're arguing about the fact that aren't I pretty special because I am a follower of Apollos. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 5, they have a bit of an argument going on. And the Apostle Paul addresses this and says, for which one says, I follow Paul? In other words, there's a group of people in the church that goes, I'm a follower of Paul. And it goes on, and another, I follow Apollos. And Apollos was another uh, part of the church that was a real evangelist that went out and led many people to Jesus Christ. And they were going, aren't I special? I followed Apollos. And Paul turns it around and says, are you not merely being human? In other words, aren't you going back to the ways of the old ways? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are simply, and it says there, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. 
The Apostle Paul and Apollos were simply servants. They were not the source of pride. And going in to the, the church in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus had some serious cultural problems that they had to overcome. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, and it apparently was an absolutely beautiful city. It was a port city, and it had a huge temple to the goddess Diana. And this goddess Diana was a very immoral goddess. There was temple prostitution that was widespread. There was a lot of social and cultural issues. And when people came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they still had all this baggage they were carrying around with them. And the Apostle Paul began to address that and bring them back into unity. And he sums up the purpose of a local church in Ephesians chapter 4. And in verses 12 through 16, he says this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's the purpose of the church. To build up the body of Christ. Once again, he used the illustration of a body. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. In other words, he is laying out, here's what it used to be in your lives, but then you can't you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Why do you want to remain that way anymore? We have a new way. And he goes on in verse number 15 and says, rather. And I'm really glad that he doesn't just end it there and go, here's all the bad news and here's what you don't want. And he goes on and says, here's what we do want in our lives as the body of Christ. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Who's the head of our church? Jesus Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This morning, I have a great deal of scripture to read. And if you have your Bibles, go back a couple books to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 12. We're going to read through several verses there talking about the body, particularly about the body of Christ. And then we're going to make some application for our lives, and we're going to try to put it into perspective for you where you are as individuals today. Let's begin reading in 1 Corinthians 12, in verse number 12. We're going to read... Uh, about 14 verses or 15 verses here. It says this in verse number 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, that's, that's pretty logical, just like the human body is a one body, but I have many different members, I have many different parts. I have ears, I have a nose, I have eyes, I have a head, I have toes, I have all the stuff that's inside that I never want to see. Now, there's all these different things about part of your body that make up the body, but they make up one body. Just as the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, would that not make it 
any less part of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He's talking about there is, you know, the weaker part, your heart, your guts, and all the other parts of your, of your body that seem to be physically weaker. They're incredibly necessary. Try to live without your heart for a few moments. Verse 22, on the contrary, all parts of the body seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we seem less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Verse 27 sums it up. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. It's a good thing he says in verse 27, he kind of sums it up again, because you can kind of get lost in the illustration, thinking to yourself, well, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about a physical body? Are we talking about a, a spiritual body? What are we speaking of today? So what we're going to speak of this morning, and we're going to make some very brief points, and then seek to make some application at the end for where you are in your lives. Because we love by serving. First of all, we have unity through diversity. The life of a church is a balance between unity and diversity, not uniformity. Imagine if our church was all the same. Now, if you're really, really self-centered, you would say, absolutely, that would be tremendous. But that's not the way it should be. Could you imagine if all of us were exactly the same age? You know, we wouldn't have a very diverse group of people. Imagine if we all had exactly the same ability. And God had given us all the same ability and none of the other abilities. Imagine if that ability was the ability of hospitality. And everyone's really trying to be hospitable, but there's no one teaching. And there's no one raising up. And there's no one, there's no one coming along and serving. You know, everyone wants, in a sense, everyone wants to be a leader, but no one wants to be a servant. And certainly within a local church, God has placed exactly who he wants in our local church through the diversity of his, of his foreknowledge to put exactly where he wants us to be to accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish. Nothing more and nothing less. Our church has a number of Bible studies through the week. We also have some courses that we, we run. One of the courses is called Care Force Life Keys. It's a group of courses of many different subjects. And I'm taking one of the courses right now with a number of other men called Valiant Man. And it's very good, and the teaching's very good. And the, and the Bible study through the week is helpful. 
But you know what's actually the most helpful to me personally? It's not sitting and watching the, the teaching. It's actually the small group part when I get to sit with other men and discuss what we're learning together because they see things from a different perspective than I see them. And I'm able to encourage them and they're certainly able to encourage me and challenge me where I am. That's the strongest part. Is not in just me in my own little box teaching myself by myself. It's within a group structure we learn so much more. We learn from each other. And to use the illustration, the Apostle Paul uses and describes us as one body. Something that's absolutely tremendous is that Jesus Christ didn't come to save just one group of people. In, in verse number 12, he says, For just as the body is one and many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. We have a variety of people within our local church. I am very glad that you don't all look like me. It's just there's no competition. And, the, and vice versa. Aren't you glad that you are who you are? We all often want to be individuals, but we, we, kind of, we don't want to be pointed out. But there's something wonderful about you as an individual and the skills and things that God has brought to you. And he has brought you into the local church because he knew we needed you to accomplish the plan for this church. Going on from that is not just one body, it's also one salvation. We have one salvation, and it's not a salvation just for one group of people, one race of people, and there's a different Jesus or a different salvation for a different group of people. It always talks about there in verses 13 and 14 is the fact that the same Jesus who died on the cross paid the penalty for the sins of, use the illustration of the Jews and the Greeks. Now, socially and culturally, the Jews would not associate with the Greeks. In fact, the Jews would make up names like, they are barbarians, and they often referred to them as dogs. That was a really encouraging words they would describe the other races or the other cultures as. And then you'd have, whether it's slave or free, some people owned slaves, other people were slaves. Does a slave have any less value in the eyes of God than the, than the rich master? Absolutely not. And Jesus Christ comes along through his salvation and breaks down all those barriers. So where you are today, whether you have a tremendous self-image and you think to yourself, I'm a master, I'm a ruler, or you have a very low self-image. And maybe today you come to church and you thought to yourself, nobody loves me, no one understands me, nobody cares for me. Whether you're in the highs of the highs or the lows of the lows, the same Jesus loves you and cares for you. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. I awkwardly paused there for a moment. I'm going to awkwardly pause again because I want you to stop and think about that. Jesus Christ died for my sins. God loves variety. You look at the earth, look at the people, look at the cultures, look at the colors of our skins and the colors of our eyes and the color of our hair, the shape of our bodies. You look at that and you think to yourself, God is a God of variety and he loves each and every one of us as individuals. So therefore, if he loves each and every one of us and has given us a salvation to bring us together in unity together and broken down the barriers of culture, broken down the barriers of, of race, and he's brought us together and he's brought us and he used the illustration of one body but many members. 
We are one body, but we have many different members. We have many different purposes. We, we are very blessed. There's a song that I learned as a child, and maybe you sang it in Sunday school as well. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, and it said red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. We have a wonderful gift of salvation. And that gift is there waiting for you. And maybe today you are a person that's come to church and you've said to yourself, well, I'm just going to check this out for today. Today, I believe God brought you here for a purpose. And I believe that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today can be the day that you place your trust upon Him as Savior. By simply admitting that you are a sinner and believing that God has sent Jesus to come to earth and die on the cross for our sins and accepting that free gift of salvation for yourself. It doesn't have to be an eloquent prayer. It's simply acknowledging in your head and saying to God, God, I want your free gift of salvation. I want to have value that you can only place upon me. We love by serving, and we certainly have unity through diversity. And awkwardly look around for a second, and you can see the diversity. Awkwardly look. We also have, we serve purposefully. He's given us purpose. He's given us a reason to get up every day and do what we do. Some of us, and I say me included, we kind of go through the motions of life. And something I'm discovering as time goes on is actually time goes faster. I remember as a teenager, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. And it took forever to turn 17. And I finally turned 17. I got my driver's license. I passed him the first time. Mm -hmm. And you get your driver's license, and now I'm finally, uh, you know, I can finally drive. And then you start paying the bills. And you know what's amazing is? The things that seem like it took forever now just fly by. You discover that too? Life is, as, as Solomon says, but a vapor. It's here for a moment, then gone. We have a purpose. Jesus Christ, in the book of Matthew, chapter number 22, is confronted by some religious leaders that are trying to trip him up. And they're trying to trick him, and they use a question that Jesus turns right around on them. So he takes them and answers it, and then adds something to it. And they ask him the question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus quotes the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, and he says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. But then he goes on. He doesn't stop there. And he says, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Can you imagine how many laws in our in Australian law books would, would have to be totally disbanded and got rid of if we simply love God and love others. Because technically, you wouldn't have to say you don't have to murder because that's not loving others and certainly not honoring and loving God. So therefore, I'm not going to murder. You know, I'm not going to steal. Because in other words, all these laws that we, we have would totally be unnecessary because we simply have to love God, love others. As a local church, that's exactly what we're, we're purposed to do. Jesus Christ says we're to love God and to love others. Loving others naturally begins with loving God. We love God by serving Him and doing what He has told us to do. And in that passage in verse number 18, it says, But as it is, 
God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. You were created to serve. You were saved to serve. You were called to serve. And He has chosen us and placed us exactly where He wants us to be. And that, through that, we can worship God. We have the wonderful privilege to worship God. Going back to another passage in Romans. Romans chapter 12. Verse number 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, you present your bodies, that illustration of a body and as, a, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, and I underlined it there on the screen, your spiritual worship. Simply doing what God has asked us to do is a form of worship. It's not a form of obligation. It's a form of spiritual worship. It's incredible. You start breaking down the, the seemingly mundane things that you do through the week. That if when you do them for yourself, they're a real chore. But when you turn around and say, I am not just serving you, I'm serving God, our attitude begins to change. A couple weeks ago, I used the illustration about laundry. You know, my wife does laundry literally every day. Guess what I woke up to? I woke up to a beautiful sound of a washing machine going this morning. It's a lovely sound. It serenades us every, almost every day. Attitude-wise, laundry. But when you're doing it because you love your family and you're ultimately serving God, now I'm not, my wife's in the service today and I'm not preaching to her specifically. Let's just generalize it. But you know what? Your seemingly mundane things that you do can turn into acts of worship. When you come to church, you can just as easily sit here for an hour and 15 minutes and go through the motions of church and just do what you're supposed to do. Sit down when you're supposed to sit down. Stand up when you're supposed to stand. Smile. And when people ask you how you're doing, you're going to say the obligatory, I'm good. And that's not necessarily worship, just going through the motions. You turn that around and say, I'm here because God wants me to be here. And I'm going to turn the songs into songs of praise. I'm going to look for opportunities to be a blessing to other people. I'm going to look for opportunities to worship God by picking up chairs. I'm going to worship God by greeting people. I'm going to worship God by, through my giving and my offering. It's not obligation. It becomes worship. Because God enables us to have joy. We serve God, but he also He enables us to serve Him. He's given you just enough time, just enough resources, just enough ability, whatever those abilities are, in order to serve Him. In, in going to Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 and 15, it says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for who? For His good pleasure. And it goes on in verse 15, You shine as lights in the world. Over 100 years ago, a man named Hudson Taylor died after 51 years serving God as a missionary in China. And he said this, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And as true as that was well over 100 years ago for a man who was ministering in China, it is true for you and I today. When we are working for God and doing it for God in the way that God wants us to do it, He will always supply our needs. Therefore, it takes a lot of pressure. I'll give you an example. As a pastor, there's a great deal of pressure to perform. And I promise that we, I, we try our best. 
We want to do things our, our very best and in best way we can do them. But I'm discovering, and I say discovering because I'm still learning this, that it doesn't matter how hard I try in my own strength and power, God is the one who always brings the blessing. And He enables us to perform the task that He wants us to perform. And th- you know what the reason for that is? Rather than going back and going, aren't I good? I get to experience the joy of worship by turning the praise back to God and saying, God, thank you for supplying. Thank you for giving. That is something, and here's a phrase that's incredibly important, only God can do that. You ever had those sort of statements? You look back at your life and go, that's incredible. Only God could have done that. That's when he gets the glory and he gets the praise. We can serve God, but also serve others. Going back to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27 again, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Each member of the body of Christ, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, to use this illustration today, you are part of the body. Each member has a function. In verses 14 through 16, it says, The body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Now, this is a pretty silly illustration, but it works really well. It's amazing that something so relevant was written 2,000 years ago. Because you imagine your body having a little discussion with itself. Well, if you weren't an ear, then you're just a nobody. And you talk to different members of your body, and you think about physically, there's members of your body that are really important. I'm very glad to have my eyesight. I'm very glad to have my taste. I was speaking with, with Maz earlier, and I also acknowledge the fact that it was a blessing to see you today. And she was talking about while in chemo, she lost her sense of smell and sense of taste. Horrible. <laughs> like the joy of eating is gone. And you don't really realize the importance of your different functions of your body until you don't have them. The same thing with our body. Who am I or who are you to look at someone else and go, you have no value because you're not like me. You don't have value. And as ridiculous as it is for a part of your body to go, now I realize the illustration kind of falls apart because we have no idea why the appendix is in your body. But to build on that, I'm really glad when it works and it hurts my entire body when it doesn't. The same thing with you as individual. God has equipped you with a function and an ability and given you a wonderful gift, a spiritual gift for His glory and His praise to build up the entire body. That's how we're going to reach our community for Jesus Christ. That's how we're going to make an impact. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, it says, All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who appoints each to one individually as He wills. He's given each and every member of our physical bodies function and incredible purpose. Each and every one of you have function and incredible purpose. He's also given us a place. Another way to say that is He's given us a proper place. He's put you exactly where he wants you to be. Now, we're not all Picassos, you know, with weird things coming out of our heads and weird, you know, modern art. Aren't you glad that your body is where it's supposed to be? 
Now, I, I don't mean to make fun, but there's certain body parts. If, if it was in a different place, it would look really funny if your leg was coming out of your head and your ear was coming out of where your leg should be. It would look really funny, and it wouldn't function correctly. Each and every one of us has a place. God has placed us in the right location at the right time, surrounded by the right people, with the right ability to accomplish what he wants from us. In verse number 18, it says, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. He's put you exactly where he wants because he knows what we need. When we don't follow that, and and this passage kind of addresses that, infighting within the body, infighting and you're not important because you're not a hand, you're not important because you're not a leg, or whatever the function is. That becomes with jealousy and also leads to pride. And those are two things that our local church absolutely does not lead. And in a sense, it's like a cancer of the, of the body. It was, it was jealousy and pride. In verses 4 through 6 of that passage, it says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all. Each member also has a use. You have a function, you have a place, a proper place, and you think of your physical body, each and every part of your body has its individual and unique function. The liver does not do what the kidneys do. You know, you have different parts of your body that are individually placed where they need to be, but also individually used for specific tasks. I want you to personalize this now. God has placed you in our local church for this time to help to connect, to grow, to serve, to be who God created you to be, but also as our local body, as a local church. And we're stronger because you are here. We want you to grow. We want you to develop. We don't want you to remain the same. In verse number 7, 1 Corinthians 12, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, for the common good. And going back to verses 21 and 22, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. My wife, about a year ago, through no fault of her own, it was one of our children, broke her pinky toe. You think her entire body didn't suffer for that? Like the entire household suffered for that. <laughs> and you know it's incredible? It's a pinky toe. Like I jokingly said, it'd be probably easier and faster to cut it off than it would be to wait for it to heal. When it's one part of your body, the entire body suffers. In verse 26, it says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's like eating. When my tongue rejoices and it feels good, the entire body feels good. When my pinky toe hurts, my entire body hurts. And whether or not you are a head, whether you are a toe, whether you are a large or a small intestine, wherever you are in the body, whether you're someone up front or someone way behind the scenes, God has a function and a use and a place for you as an individual. And I want to encourage you with that. Just like... A symphony, standing there with the conductor. Each and every 
part of the symphony doing exactly what it's supposed to do. When they do that, it makes beautiful music that we all applaud and we go, wow, that's amazing. When we as individuals simply serve in the way that God has empowered you to serve as an individual, we as a local church can be applauded and say, wow, only God can do that. With the variety of people we have and the, and the many backgrounds we have, God has brought us together for an incredible time. But we have a choice. We have a choice in the way that we respond. We can respond in praise, which is a positive. We can praise God for placing us in the, our local church. We can also respond in a way of action. We can begin to serve. And maybe there's an area of our local church that you are feeling called to serve in. Wonderful. Come see myself. Come see one of the other ministry leaders. And we will happily help equip you and train you and develop you and release you to ministry because you are an important part of the body. But I don't want you to be like this young lady in a moment on this video who hears the word, thinks that she's doing it all, but not living it out. And reading again John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. What's the deal? What? I told you three days ago to clean your room. I know. Well, I'm glad you know it's a mess. I memorized what you said. What do you mean you memorized what I said? Every word. Wait, you memorized that I told you to clean your room? Yes. And I learned how to say it in Spanish and in Hebrew. And if you want to know how to say it in Spanish, it's Yo Limpio El Dormitorio. That's, that's what, that's Spanish. 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 Okay. And I um, read a book, it's called Five Ways to Clean Your Room. It just really helped me to understand like what you said and it was really life changing, it was awesome. And I had friends from my small group over, it was so good. We talked about like the importance of a clean room and like what it's like to have a clean room and like how you should have a clean room. It was so, so good. It was absolutely incredible. And Susie came over, you remember? Yeah, she came over and we like mapped it out on a sheet of paper on what my room would have been like if I, when I did clean it. And it looked really good. Like it, everything was really precise. Uh, okay, well, um, keep up the, <laughs> keep up the good work. Thanks. I love you. Keep holding me accountable. This week, let's go beyond talking about loving God and loving others, and let's live it out. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you love us and you care for us, that you have given us a purpose. You've given us the ability and the function and the, the right place and the right use to live out your plan and purpose for our lives. Lord, you have incredible things for our church far beyond our natural ability, and you've placed every single one of us here for a reason. Lord, I pray that today we will determine to open ourselves up to what you have for us. Lord, I pray that we won't allow another day or another week to go by, but we will begin to put into place 
your purpose and your function for our local church. And in Jesus' name, amen.